Hey, listener, it's me, zero-time all-star Trevor May from MCA Media, the ultimate destination for discussions about tech, gaming, content creation, and everything in between. I just wanted to pop in and let you know two very important things. One, you smell incredible today. Two, the May Contain Action Network now has an ever-expanding catalog of great shows, like the D&D-centric Forgotten Past, Goblins and Growlers, and Quid Pro Roll, or the phenomenal Fortnite podcast Invaulted, hosted by Squatting Dog. Give them a listen, level up your podcast game, and have some fun. Shows are linked in the show notes. Hey, Goblins. Brandon here. Uh, If you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or, you know, however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Blue Sky and Discord. I'm Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore in places. Um, that that way I future proof this. So no matter what the social media is in six years, uh, I can just say that. Um, yeah, provided you never change your username. Yeah, it's yeah exactly. I hope nobody camped on it for me. But uh, very, <laughs> very special episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast uh, this time around because we're actually recording it live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash goblins underscore and underscore growlers. Uh, it's the first time we've done any streaming of the podcast recording since we started it, because I think we we streamed those test episodes we did. Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. And after that, we were like, it's too much of a big deal to schedule record, like streaming these recordings all the time. But uh, we decided we'd try it again. So um, we'll probably do it in the future, provided this doesn't completely crash and burn. So, uh, you know, follow us on Twitch, follow us on YouTube, uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcasts and all and all that stuff, which I'm sure will repeat ad nauseum at the end of this. But uh, Josh, what are we doing today? We are doing a live stream of a panel we frequently do at conventions called Help. My game is on fire, mm-hmm. which is one of our favorite panels to do because it's always a little different. Um, it's something that takes no prep for us because if somebody stumps one of us on the panel, there's usually like five of us. Mm-hmm. And at least one person on the panel is like, I got you. I'm all over this. Yeah. Let me tell you what you need to do. So we're really causing ourselves a potential problem today by only having the two of us here. Look, I we told chat. That if they were going to stump us, now was the time to do it. So yeah. we'll see if they pull that off. Our chance of winning drastic go down. The numbers don't lie. And they spell <laughs> disaster for us on this live stream. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the fun thing about that panel is that it's gone beyond just uh, GM questions and things like that. Um, the one we did at MAGFest, you weren't there because you were wisely staying in bed uh, in, in your hotel room. But we, we got a bunch of questions on that one from like players who were essentially trying to navigate issues with their GM. So, oh. so I've started sort of thinking of the panel a little bit differently. It's almost like it's almost like a mediation panel in a sort of way. Like, you know, we usually don't have both parties there or anything, 
but we're just giving people general advice on how to navigate issues at their table. Are you saying we're the Judge John Hodgman of TTRPGs? Is that what you're saying? Let me tell you something. And I don't think, I think this might be news to everybody, but I cannot stand John Hodgman. (laughs) Uh, He uh, just, every time I see him, he annoys me. Uh, So (laughs) he's right up there with Mo Rocca in terms of people who just set me off for no reason. That's so interesting. I wouldn't have anticipated either of those. See, I don't I don't have anything against either of those performers. They mm-hmm. seem to be completely reasonable folks. I think you know how you'll go back and look at stuff you've said on social media years later and you're like, oh man, what what was going through my head when I thought that? I found I think it was one of the first tweets I ever did on my on my uh, Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And it was something to the effect of like, if I could wish one person out of existence, it would be Mo Rocca, and I would have no regrets. <laughs> What? What? Brandon. Yeah. There's so many better people you could wish out of existence. It was, I I was, I was commuting a lot at the time and I was listening to a lot of NPR and he had a segment on, on NPR and just, it was just like nails on a chalkboard every time I had to listen to him. I never liked him on like the daily show or anything like that either. Oh no. Probably a very nice person. Well, when uh, John Hodgman and Mo Rocca want to do a joint uh, guest spot on the podcast to talk about their new actual play RPG, um, we'll just we'll just stifle that down. We'll stifle it down. Astropathic in the chat saying, oh, like from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yes, it was Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me because I was I drove to work when Wait, Wait was on. Mm, yeah, that would that would make sense. For, for some reason, though, I don't have the same sort of antipathy toward Tombow Dead. So anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for the folks, for the folks. Scott, you can stream. cut out all this nonsense, <laughs> but not really. Or, or yeah. Yeah. you could leave all of it in. <laughs> um, so for the folks in chat, hit us with your questions whenever you want. Um, we will absolutely get around to them. I've got literally a 34 inch screen in front of me with chat running just a vertical stripe right up the middle of it. You and your monitor privilege over there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got it. I got it pretty nice. (laughs) Um, So hit us with those questions whenever you want. We will get to them. Uh, And what we'll do in the meantime is we'll talk about a few of the things that we have been asked at previous help. My game is on fire sessions and go from there. Josh, I would like to uh, pose something to you. It was an actual legitimate question that we got from the MAGFAST panel where you were up upstairs uh, tending to your wounds. Go on. Uh, it was this couple that comes up to the microphone and they say, hey, so our problem seems to be attention span because our GMs, because they were playing in a group of like six people. Okay. All of whom, all of whom were GMs. Oh. And the issue is like GM one would start running a game uh, they would have this big idea for it. And then over the course of about between three to three to four weeks, uh, they would lose interest in it. And then they would just not be interested in running it anymore. So they'd have, so then the next GM would pick up and run their thing. And they just kept saying like, it's infuriating to play, which I can understand because you can't get any kind of investment. It's one thing when you're playing in like a pickup game, like the kind we run publicly right there's no there's no inherent expectation of investment right in that but these were people playing in a private game 
And I gave my answer to them, and I'm interested, without prejudicing you, what yours would be. There are two directions I would take this. Uh, Direction number one would be you sacrifice the idea of having a long-running narrative, Mm -hmm. and you just run one-shots. So you rotate GMs, they run the two or three session arc that they're clearly very excited about, and then as their interest starts to wane, they wrap it up, and they pass it to the next GM. Mm -hmm. That is not super ideal, because it sounds like they would like to have more narrative, not commit to having no narrative. Yeah. So what I would suggest in that case is still do the rotating GM thing with everyone sharing a world. And then each GM, while the game is running, also has a PC in the party. Kind of like how Alex runs Alita. So it's just like everybody's sandbox is how you would try and treat it. Yeah. Yeah. You do like a collaborative GMing situation where everybody's got their hands on the wheel a little bit. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think technically that's the correct answer because I gave one that was very similar. I said something to the effect of like the average campaign, you know, quote unquote, these days runs roughly six, six sessions. I said, maybe maybe your GMs all need to sit there and sort of reframe in their heads what a campaign is, right? And I talked about how we write stuff and we sort of define it so it can have a beginning and an end before we start writing it. So that way we know, okay, well, this is going to run four sessions. This is going to run six sessions. And that was the advice I gave them. Yep. I think I think the problem is that they... Um, I lost my train of thought, but I'm getting it back. I'm getting it back. Yeah, th- I remember now what I was going to say. The GMs like really feel the drive within themselves to write these massive campaigns, but when time for rubber to hit the road, they're just not, <laughs> they're just not doing it. So the idea that they should scale back their ambitions was sort of angering them, if I remember correctly. A- and and I was like, well, okay, so it sounds like there may be not a great answer here. <laughs> I just had a thought literally while you were talking, okay. which is why I did the like brain blast hands. Um, yeah. Run it in Planescape. And just have them jump around? Have them jump around. It's an unstable okay. planar shifting situation. You're going to be in each of those campaign worlds for about three or four <laughs> sessions. And then you never know where the next leap is going to take you. It might be home. Yeah, you're, pl- you're playing sliders or quantum leap <laughs> at that point. Um, I think that's, I mean, I think that's fine. I think that's the answer. And, and really like the hidden question here is, should we still play with this group? Because we're not happy with the way things are going. Yeah. And the answer is maybe not, you know, maybe they don't actually mesh with what you're looking for. I think the question below that question is, is anyone happy with how that's turning out? Or are these GMs also frustrated that they have this idea that they're really excited about? And then they get a few sessions in and they're petering out. If that's the case, it's questions all the way down. If that's the case, you might need to be spacing out your sessions more Mm -hmm. or running alternating campaigns or something like that. Yeah. You think they're playing too frequently? Well, you're talking about they're running out of steam inside of like three or four weeks. That to me sounds like they're playing at least once a week. Yeah. Which can be a lot for a GM who wants to do something really rich and involved. You're saying they need to build the anticipate. 
Shun. Yes. <laughs> a little yes, bit. That's precisely what I'm saying. <laughs> precisely. Okay. Okay. Um, let's start uh, let's start hitting up some of these questions that we got in here. I'll let you be the question master, but first I just want to say, Mansadan, we answered this question weeks ago. We did. <laughs> On an episode. In your, in um, your controversial fu- G, uh, GM takes. Yeah, it was Unpopular D&D Opinions Part 2. Which I think I have renamed uh, on the Podbean feed as something more clickbaity after seeing how the YouTube video performed. I think it was also in Unpopular D&D Opinions 1. I think Mansadan mm-hmm. has asked this question at every opportunity. Yeah. yeah, and if I recall correctly, my answer was a doctrinaire no. Both of our answers were emphatically absolutely not. It only invites chaos. You you let Floridice count? What next? <laughs> like, where where does it go after that? some real joker vibes for your rules at your table yeah all right all right josh you can be you can be in charge of the questions question numero uno uh brave b asks sup gamers my first campaign way back in the day ever ended when one of my players started the apocalypse because he got too excited over my plan for campaign two and wanted to end campaign one early what would y'all do in that scenario what and a little bit of follow-up information because Astropathic asked like an Exantria Unlimited sort of deal. Mm-hmm. And Brave responds, worse, they cut off their world from all planar ties, leaving them bereft of magic and destroying civilization. I feel like there's some detail to be uncovered <laughs> in this. All right. So the player started the apocalypse because mm-hmm. they got too excited about what was coming next and just mm-hmm. couldn't control themselves. Um and it sounds like they left the party stranded in a place where they wouldn't necessarily be able to start campaign two. I'm guessing it was supposed to be with the same players or with the same characters, rather. It It is sounding to me like campaign two is going to be an opportunity to re-roll characters and uh, campaign one just needed to wrap up first. The only reason I asked for clarification is I don't know why the second detail would matter if it, they were going to be rolling new characters anyway. I think because uh, you make it impossible to same players, new world. So I think it's because you make it impossible to do any sort of resolution around the apocalypse because this Uh, player has just set it up so that the apocalypse is happening and you cannot stop it. They were level 20 after three years in campaign one. My immediate reaction to this, if we were uh, in person doing this panel, my immediate question would be, so how did the conversation go after this <laughs> session? Like, what was said? Um, how did people react? <laughs> you know, what was the what was the feeling of the other players at the table toward this person? Um, I think really needing to take the temperature there uh, is going to have a lot of influence on the answer to this question. Yeah, I think based on the conversation that's had with the players after the session determines what my next step is. Because if the group was into it and they're like, wow, that's so chaotic and so cool. And basically you're the only person who's left sitting there with your campaign finale notes in hand going, but I had a thing that I wanted to do. Um, Then sometimes you just, you just got to eat it. Like I don't, don't love saying that because I think GMs have every right to be as excited as anybody else about how things are going to wrap up. Um, but I think if everybody else is really, really into it, then it's like, well, you know, everybody else is really into it. 
I don't know that it's right for me then to come in and be like, no, we're doing things my way. I, yeah, if everybody sort of left that scenario with not bad feelings and everybody was just like, ah, you know, okay, let's see how this goes and then move on to the next thing. And then maybe your best play is to just take whatever's left from your notes and put them at the back of your new notebook and try to find ways to incorporate that into campaign two. It's it's an argument for not showing your cards too much on what you've got coming up. Like, obviously, you have to, you know, have session zero and safety tool conversations when you've got some new plan coming up. Right. But maybe it's helpful to leave it a little bit more vague. So somebody's just not like, oh, oh, I can't wait for this. <laughs> I'm going to cause Ragnarok to make this happen soon. <laughs> I will say for the reverse scenario where mm-hmm. you are like, I mean, I guess that's fine. Not a huge deal. And then a lot of the table is either mixed or upset mm-hmm. about it, with the exception of the one person who's like, hell yeah, now we can start campaign too. You have a conversation with that table as a table and you go, is this really like satisfactory? Like I do have stuff prepared for like a big finale. Mm -hmm. That'll be kind of cool, I think. But if y'all are satisfied with how this ended up, then, you know, so be it. If the table's like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, uh, I don't know. Then I think the thing to do at that point is to be like, all right, we're going to scrub that. We're retconning. That was a dream. And we wake up and, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like and the, Bob and Bob Newhart's there. It's a it's a shared apocalypse dream that they all had. And the one player, you have to be like, look, I understand what you're going for. I get that you're totally really excited for campaign two. We're gonna get there and we're gonna get there soon. We're not there yet. Just hang on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how they follow up with well, responses were definitely mixed after that session. Uh <laughs> how to, a long talk with the dude, but ultimately we decided it was best to just move on. Um, yeah, uh, like I would want to know, like, hey, man, like, really, why did you do that? Because I don't think, well, I was really excited for the next campaign is a, a good enough answer for that. I feel like there's something else there. I'm not trying to be a psychologist about it or anything, but you can be excited for something and not completely rain on every but everybody else's fun. Uh, I I just have to feel like there was something else going on there. Like maybe like, is it possible that they weren't really happy with the way the current campaign was going and they saw an opportunity? Cause usually that's like, this just feels like chaos goblin behavior and not, not like, Oh man, I'm just really excited to get to the next thing. Like, and maybe, maybe this is just a person who hasn't learned patience. I don't know. Not to get too deep into supposition town, but it sounds like if you're at level 20, then you're like, okay, game's done is where this person was at. Yeah. And so they didn't probably right. They didn't want to do a final wrap up thing. They just wanted to get to the next thing because being level 20 was not where they wanted to be. That's, that's my read on it. Whenever I play Skyrim, I, I end up doing the restoration loop, uh, that if makes me functionally immortal. And, <laughs> uh, usually after I do that, I start getting bored with the game. So that might, that might be part of that. Yeah, that could absolutely be part of that. Yeah. And B says exactly oh. what Josh said. So that, yeah, I, I like, <laughs> I like having a good read on things. 
Uh, moving yeah. to our next question. I feel like we can that real one. quick before we get to that. I want to thank tree for catching my new heart reference. <laughs> um, I knew, I knew maybe one person in this chat would get that. Um, I'm barely old enough to make that reference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, oh, wait, I, I like what, I like what lost Limey has got going on. He's doing the Scott Steiner math programs. Like, you know, they say all GMs are created equal, but you look at me and you look at black cloak and you can see that statement is not true. See, normally if you go one-on-one with another DM, you got a 50, 50 chance of rolling, but I'm a mathematic freak and I'm not normal. So you got a 25% at best at beat me. Then you add Brandon Dingus to the mix and your chances of rolling good drastic go down. See the three way at unplugged. You got a 33 and a third chance of ruling, but I, I got a 66 and two thirds chance of rolling because Brandon Dingus knows he can't roll me <laughs> and he's not even going to try. So Black Cloak, you take your 33 and a third chance minus my 25% chance and you got an eight and a third chance of rolling and unplugged. But then you take my 75% chance of rolling if we was to go one on one and then at 66, two thirds percents, I got 141 and two thirds chance of winning a chance of rolling at unplugged. The numbers don't lie and they spell disaster for you at unplugged. Oh I felt like God. it was only right to do the whole thing since Craig huh. put the effort in. I, that's completely reasonable. Completely. And reasonable. remember, Alex stopped me from doing that at your wedding. <laughs> Alex didn't stop you. Alex was on board. <laughs> Alex's parents stopped you. <laughs> you know, they say all weddings are created equal. <laughs> oh, God, it would have been magnificent. It's OK. It's OK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I sorry about that. Um, we were getting to Tree's question, I think. Yes. Moving into Ms. Tree's question. I am a player in a regular campaign. My character is an ADHD centaur barbarian, and the GM clearly wants us to talk to his NPCs, but there are a lot of crickets. I throw my low-riz barbarian in, but in some, but so many low rolls. Any suggestions mm -hmm. for ways to encourage the other players to step up? Um, I've actually got a really, really good response for this because this is something I've used at my tables. Um, this is he's coming in with confidence, folks. He's coming in with confidence. You can use at your table, whether you're a player or a GM. Um, uh, first and foremost, a lot of folks think, especially if other folks at the table are doing this, they think that they need to act in order to talk inside an RPG and that if they don't act, then they will be viewed as like underperforming or something they say will be taken the wrong way or something like that. No one needs to be an actor to be able to TTRPG. You can just say, I'd like to ask the guard about where in town we can find a nice tavern. And if the GM wants to return with, well, kind traveler, like blah, 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 blah. That's fine. That's totally doable. If that is still making people shrink back into themselves, then it might be worth the GM and the player both not acting in those scenes. So the player says, hey, you know, this is what I'm going to ask the guard. And then the GM says, this is how the guard is going to respond. And they can add that flavor still, but not like as a character voice and going kind of over the top. I love going over the top. I love doing voices. I love those sorts of things. But when it's clearly making one of my players a little more shy, the best thing I have found to do is to encourage them that just because I'm there doesn't mean they have to be. Now, that's good. And it can be awkward when you're a GM, especially if you don't have a lot of experience doing it, especially if you don't have a lot of experience doing it with lots of different people. Uh, it can be it, 
it's you can be very uncertain of what level you need to set yourself at. Yeah. Like for me, back in the day when I would be running a game at Strangeways or Garden Grove or something like that, and it would be like my regular crew. It would be like uh, you know, Lucas, Jefferson, etc. Um, like those those folks. I, I had played so many sessions with them at so many events that I could just be like, "All right, guys, here's how this is going." You know, this happens and this happens and this happens. Like I was, it was very comfortable, very fluid, and everything. And I didn't feel like I had to be up here to get them engaged because I knew where they were at. Right. I knew where they were at. Right. I find myself going more over the top if I have trouble reading somebody, like if they're a newer player at my table or they're just generally a newer player, I feel like I need to give them the experience sometimes. And it's, uh, I'll get in my own head about it and I'll realize what I'm doing. And then I have to like pull it back a little bit because that's not sort of naturally like how I like to run it. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I just, I make the mistake all the time. That's why, that's how I know what you're talking about. I mean, it's easy to be like really comfortable, especially if it's a scenario you've run a couple times before to be really Mm -hmm. comfortable being over the top, a little bit off the wall. And if that's overwhelming or confusing for a new player, then that's overwhelming or confusing for a new player. It just takes that little bit of like in the moment being conscientious of it and then dialing back just a little bit. Um, And I think, I think this is one of those where uh, you have a conversation with the player first, um, kind of to the side to let them know, like, hey, I noticed that, like, you have a really high charisma on your character sheet, but it doesn't seem like you get involved in conversations that much. Um, is that like a comfort thing or what what can we do to help you be more comfortable with that role since that's something that your character would be really good at? And, you know. Nine times out of 10, it's people being like, well, I'm not as good at this as my character is. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the whole point, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's um, there's a, a management book that my company um, swears by. And one of the things it preaches about in there is like right person, right seat in that somebody can be really good at a job, but they and, and really talented and really qualified, but they might just be in the wrong role for it. Right. Yeah. And that's essentially what we're talking about here as well, because like whenever there's a new player or somebody who just doesn't generally have a lot of experience doing role playing and stuff like that, they're like, oh, what you know, what should I play? What should I play? I'm always like, hey, you know, play a fighter. Um, It's it's probably the most basic class that you can do. You don't you have a lot of utility. You don't have to go over the top. There's not like an archetype necessarily there that you have to really lean into, you know, and really none of no character class. You have to lean into it. It's just some is easier to and some is easier not to. Bard is really easy to lean into it. Right. And maybe if you're not comfortable doing that, maybe you don't play a bard. Uh, You know, you play sort of a fighter to sort of get your legs under you, get comfortable with things. And then you can lean more into the like, it's almost like R-O-L-E playing evolves out of R-O-L-L playing. Like if you're playing sort of a mechanics heavy system like D&D, where the whole gameplay loop is predicated on combat and, and numbers and stuff like that, like you get comfortable with that and then you can almost set that on autopilot. And then you can devote the the sort of the mental resources to doing um, the the role playing and leaning in a lot. Yeah, and 
and I, I like we're really sort of off topic from what the original question was there, but it got me on a train of thought. Yeah, I think I think having a little bit of, you know, knowing what the character archetypes are going to be expected to do in game helps people make decisions about what character they want to play. But if somebody mm-hmm. starts out being like, I'm really excited to be a bard and then they don't want to do bard stuff in the game from a role playing standpoint, I think that's okay. I think it's just a matter of figuring out how to meet them where they're at. Because nine times, I keep saying nine times out of ten, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, once those people are a little bit more comfortable with, you know, understanding the rules and understanding that they don't have to be way over the top and doing like crazy scenes as if they're a Final Fantasy animatic, like once they get to that point, you tend to get a lot more out of them very quickly and mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of those players inside of like six months of regular play. They are right there with everybody else. Like, oh, yeah, like my orcish barbarian is going to kick open the door and be like, I'm here to crush people. And it's like, oh, I didn't I didn't know we were doing voices tonight. OK, let's go. Yeah. And it can go both ways, too, because you might be a player that's really into playing that way. And maybe you have a GM who's just not right there like yeah. i remember the first year we were running tables at galaxy con somebody played at my table their name was claire i believe um uh and they were playing a really really deep in the role bard um they had like uh, they had like a songbook with them they came to play whoa and it was ama- like it was amazing. Like they did a fantastic job. Like they were also like a cosplayer and they were all dressed up and everything like that. And just at the time, because it was the first time we had run tables at a convention that big, and I was just having to help manage all that stuff, and I was running tables and everything, and we were running merch and stuff like that. I had just a really difficult time meeting them where they were. I tried really hard, but it ended up being like a huge emotional drain on me. And that's nobody's fault. Like, it's not my fault. It's not player's fault or anything. It just was. We don't have to assign fault to stuff. And uh, it's just something I think about. Like, how could I have handled that better? Um, I Probably the best way that I could have handled it would have been like, I'm down here. <laughs> I really appreciate what you're doing. Just, I'm, I'm down here. And just be honest about... Uh, where like where i was i think it's okay to express to people that you love what they are bringing to the table and that Mm -hmm. you you do not have the energy to match them but you're still enjoying it Mm -hmm. because then you feel less pressured to try and push yourself beyond where you're comfortable and they won't be like oh they hate it that's why that's why they're not replying in kind yeah, it's like sometimes I come off as anhedonic because like I'll find something really funny and I'll really enjoy it. But I'm just sort of intellectually being like, this is funny. I enjoy this <laughs> in my head, you know, and I'm not like freaking out laughing or anything like that. That's fair. That's um, fair. I I don't read to people very well sometimes when I'm in those kind of moods. So I could get that. Well, it's also like everybody's a little less excited and enthusiastic and chipper when they're tired which we frequently at conventions are doing so much that we are tired. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Lost Limey asks, 
as someone who's frequently the quiet, reluctant player at tables, how do you draw those types out, especially in an unfamiliar group? It's too easy to have a player who doesn't really interact out of when for out of when forced by initiative order or the equivalent. There's a definitely a typo in there, something autocorrected, and I'm not sure what. I think he's just saying like it's difficult to get a player to engage unless they're on the spot because they're they've come up in the initiative ah, order yeah, yeah, or yeah. some some other trigger of some sort. So similar to what we were just talking about, I mean it's kind of same vein slightly. It's like both are apples, but they're apples of a different variety. I would say when mm -hmm. I'm trying to draw that player out, um, a big thing that I find kind of locks those players up in the first place is that everybody else is so enthusiastic to do things, say things, take actions, uh, those sorts of things. They will eat up a lot of the airspace. And it's not, mm -hmm. it's not that they're being selfish. It's that they're not conscious of kind of having that element they're they're just excited to get into things they're not actively thinking about oh this person sitting right beside me hasn't said anything in the last five minutes um this is something where gm awareness can be really really key i find it super helpful to take a moment frequently with those kinds of players and say Hey, I haven't heard anything from you in a little bit. What's your character up to mm -hmm. right now? Give them the spotlight, pass it to them in a non-stakes circumstance so that they can mm -hmm. be like, well, you know, I was kind of thinking I might, because that will give them a little bit more space at the table and you bringing the spotlight to them instead of them having to take it for themselves will also help the rest of the table go right we should be helping this person like have space to play. I, I agree with that. And I think it's also important. It's like going back to talking about being able to read people and not being able to read people and things like that is when you do pass the spotlight like that, you, you have to do it almost in sort of a nonchalant way. Like I really like, I make it a point never to be like, well, so-and-so we haven't heard from you for a while. You've been awfully quiet. Um, you know, what is your character doing? Never, I never do it like that where I'm like pointing out that a person hasn't been talking, hasn't been engaged. Cause I don't know, I don't know what their reasoning is or, you know, maybe they just, maybe they just have anxiety about interacting, especially at a table with newer people or something like that. So I always like try to make sure I'm going around to everybody. So it doesn't look like I'm singling somebody out and also just being like, oh, and you know, what, what is your character thinking about doing? What's your character doing like this? I never... I want to put the spotlight on somebody, but I don't want the lighting to be too harsh. Fair. I think it, I think that really depends on situation. Um, if if I do the I haven't heard from you in a bit, what are you up to? And somebody sh like sort of shrinks from that, then yes, mm -hmm. I think a, a much gentler approach is called for. But I do try to be a little bit more, at least on my initial couple of tries, I try to be a little bit more brash about it because otherwise I find the rest of the table doesn't seem to catch it quite so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm speaking from sort of the perspective of playing at a table with maybe people I don't know very well. Um, that's fair. You know, because that's that's the circumstance we find ourselves in Frequently. a lot. And I always and I always try to be just a little bit careful, because especially if it's people who've like never if i get the sense maybe they haven't played before like this is the if not one of the first times they're playing DD or any kind of tabletop role-playing game for sure i don't want to put them on the spot now what i love is when people like that are at the beginning of the game are like hey everybody like 
I hope I hope you don't mind. I've, I don't have a lot of experience with it or whatever. And the great thing about our community is people are always just like, oh, you sit next to me. I'll help you. Uh, and that kind of thing, which which makes it a lot easier. Like the temperature oh, yeah. at the table, the temperature at the table is a, such a huge factor in how that interaction with with maybe the quiet player goes. Um, and that's I've al- I always say that playing a tabletop game is a trust exercise. Oh, yeah. You, you have to you have to walk into the game being willing to trust these strangers that they're not going to mess with you. Most of the time, especially in our community, it, it works perfectly. Occasionally, you got somebody who's just sort of a bad fit or anything like that. Um, and you have to navigate around them, not because they are quiet or whatever, but they just aren't reading the rest of the table, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> there was some commentary on our previous question where it's things like Lost Limey saying, you can just say, I play a song of rest without having to bring out a sick A guitar solo. Yeah. You remember uh, You remember when uh, somebody started bringing a, like, a mandolin to our Garden Grove games I and do. playing them? I do. Yeah. Very cool. Because they, 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 they were playing a bard, right? Yeah. Very cool. Very impressive. Not an expectation. Never an expectation. Yeah. I will also, on that note, I've heard GMs talk about things like, oh, yeah, when we're doing social encounters, I will have them say what they're going to say, like sentence for sentence. And then that determines the DC of the persuasion check. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do yeah. that. Because yeah, we're that's a, not fair. We're a bunch of awkward nerds sitting around a table. We're not literally wizards and like diplomats and fighters and all of that. Like you don't make the druid go out and commune with nature before coming in and casting druid spells. You don't make the wizard (laughs) show you their PhD on wizarding. Like what? (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. What uh, what next? I think we've run through all the questions from the chat. <laughs> Astropathic says it's an MD, not a PhD for magical doctorate. <laughs> I love that. It's phenomenal. Um, a really common one that we get at these panels is, hey, so I run a game And I've got all these players and we're all really good friends and we've all been really good friends for a really long time. And this one guy is ruining it for everyone. Uh huh. (laughs) Just ruining it. And it's uh, obviously the details change of like from story Mm -hmm. to story. It's not the same guy ruining everyone's games. Um, It would be a lot easier if it were. You've been banned from D&D at every table in North America. Go, go into any game store in any town. You see that person's ugly mug just <laughs> stuck up on the wall with an ice pick. Do not play. Um, yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a police, a police drawing like Indrid Cold or something <laughs> like that. Um, the solution for those universally is first, you need to have a conversation with the player. Not like mm-hmm. you do not. This is something that Eric Potch said two or three years ago at one of our Magfests. Help my game is on fire. And it's something that's stuck with me ever since I've adopted it in every way. 
do not solve in-game problems with out-of-game solutions. Do not solve out-of-game problems with in-game solutions. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's being a jerk, uh, whether or not that is who their character is, uh, you need to have a conversation with the player. You don't you don't just penalize the character mm -hmm. because they chose to make that character a jerk. And that's yeah. the that's the person to be talking to. And if you penalize the character, then that's engaging with that bad behavior. And sometimes it doesn't even matter whether it's a positive or negative interaction. It's just, oh, well, this behavior has caused my character to get attention. So therefore, I will continue doing this. And everybody loves what a charming little rascal I am. Spoiler, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I've not seen many tables where one of the characters is a right bastard and everybody else is like, he, 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 he. this is so much fun. Yeah. And with that situation, frankly, like just one addendum to that. Even if the only person at the table who's being driven absolutely bananas by this person's behavior is you, the GM, uh, that still merits having a conversation and addressing it. You don't have to oh, just yeah. sit there and take licks because you're the GM. Yeah, you can stop ticking. You don't have to take the licking. <laughs> um, but yeah... <sighs> You, you almost have to be, for those kind of situations, you just have to be willing to use a nuclear option. Um, and it becomes tricky because, you know, especially in that circumstance, it's like, oh, well, we've been, you know, we're all friends and we've been playing forever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, you always want to try to use, you know, person-to-person -person dialogue to try to solve these kind of problems. Communication solves 99.9% .9 of pretty much every problem at the table, but people don't like confrontation. They don't like the, they're afraid of the possibility of confrontation. So that's why they avoid having these kind of talks with people. And it's just like, Hey, you know, your behavior has upset people and you always have to be specific about it. It's like, you can't just say, Hey, everybody like, doesn't like what you did. You have to be like, Hey, your behavior upset people because X, Y, and Z. And, you have to figure out sort of why they're doing it. Maybe there's some in-game reason why they feel like they're doing it, in which case you as the GM need to be like, well, let's revisit that. Let's revisit that a little bit. Um, and, you know, skipping over a whole host of steps there. Like if you get to the end of it and this person doesn't want to modify their behavior to fit with the rest of the table, um, that means they don't belong at the table. Um, and you have to be willing to take action on that. Like, there's a story I'd love to tell about this. And it's my friend's brother-in-law. Like, he was, my friend was running uh, a D&D &D game. And I think they were about, like, six months in to this, to this particular campaign. And his wife's brother was playing in it. And he just, my friend kept, like, working with him. And... It just wasn't, it wasn't, the problem wasn't solving itself. So he's like, it was ruining everybody else's experience. So he came to the decision that he had to fire his brother-in-law from the campaign. And he, he had the conversation with him. He kicked him out. Um, he said it was a very tense environment in his home for several days. But then his, his wife was like, yeah, he was being a jerk, man. Like... <laughs> Like, yeah. it's time for him to go. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it was unpleasant. It caused him some problems, but 
and I may I may look at this different than other GMs do sometimes because like I I, I also I want to be very clear up front. I also believe that the GM is a player and the player and the GM deserves to be having fun just like the rest of the players. But fairly or unfairly, being the GM also sort of carries a little bit of management responsibility on you. Like you're you're like a player plus almost. And you are not responsible for everybody's fun at the table. But I think what you want to do is do your best to try to create an environment where everybody is having fun at the table. And there are plenty of there are plenty of uh, play play groups that have a different dynamic. Maybe the GM is somebody who's just doing it because they're the one who has the time to put the work in. But somebody else is, quote unquote, the leader of that group, you know, the one who makes sure to get everything organized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, who, whoever is in that kind of position, like needs to be willing to have the conversation and you can never have the whole table gang up on that person because then they're going to react even worse. It has to be usually a one-on-one. Yeah. Needs to be a one-on-one. And I think something that doesn't get explored often enough in our space is that the GM is doing the most work to get everything Mm -hmm. together I I am personally of the opinion that the GM should be enjoying the campaign then the most. Mm-hmm. Because if the GM is just like, I slaved over a hot printing press for the last 10 days to bring you this campaign and you go and you poop all over all of it, then like... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a bad dynamic. Like, even if the table is having a ton of fun, if you are having everything you do subverted and that's not cool for you, that's actually kind of frustrating for you, mm-hmm. then you need to not be GMing for that group. And if they're like, oh, but you're the only GM. Well, OK, then like treat the stuff that I do for you with some respect. Like if yeah. you cooked dinner for your friends and they came over to your house and they ate it and they're like, oh, this tastes awful. And they like sp- spent the evening throwing it at each other. You would stop cooking dinner for those people. Yeah. Like, Well, like, well, like, oh, you're the only one willing to be the GM. Yeah, it's called supply and demand. So, it, it, you know, we, we all have to be happy here <laughs> or. So you got it. You got it. It's negotiation. It's it's meeting people where it's meeting people where they're at um, and also establishing boundaries, which is also very difficult for people. Yeah. Um, you have to be like, you know, this far, no further. The line must be drawn here. <laughs> yeah. Um, Astropathic asks, I've seen a few folks in the GNG discord who've had issues as a player where it seems like the best course of action is for that player to excuse themselves from the table due to not being a good fit but they're scared to leave because other people might also leave. What are your thoughts on how to address that from the player side? I would like to talk about this. Hmm. First, I would like to say, if you want to join this conversation at any point, you can always join the Goblins and Growlers Discord at bit.ly slash Goblin Discord. But um, here's how I feel about this. You are not responsible for the emotional state of uh, other people. You are not responsible for other people's fun. If you are not enjoying the game, tap out of the game. If that means other people are going to leave, that means they weren't having fun too, which means it was probably a rotten environment. And at the end of the day, when those people make that decision for themselves, 
even if they say, I'm leaving because you're leaving, what they are saying is, I didn't feel strongly enough about this. I didn't like it, but I didn't feel strongly enough about it to take action on my own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you start a snowball, but there again, if the other people also at a base level weren't also unhappy, they wouldn't leave. Right. If they Um, were perfectly happy with the situation, they just like playing with you. They'd be like, Hey, let me know what campaign you get into next, because I'd be down to continue playing with you if that's cool. Yeah. They wouldn't be like, I'm also out. Peace. <laughs> yeah. Break off, form your own splinter group, whatever. And and it, I think some of it, too. You know, this is I, I actually this is something I wanted to bring up, because some people have this idea that it's better to play in a bad game of D&D than no game of dnd no. at the magfest panel last month some somebody in the audience when we were i forget exactly how we got there but we were sort of talking close to that and he, and the guy says like oh yeah well you know playing bad dnd is better than playing no dnd and we were like no <laughs> no it's not I mean, um playing not. playing no dnd and being more emotionally healthy uh is much better than playing bad dnd and being very, very stressed out about it. Yeah. Like I've been, I've, I've bailed a GMing a game once because it stressed me the hell out because of the people I was playing with. And it just made me uncomfortable. And I knew that the game was going to fall apart if I left, but I had to look out for myself. And, you know, there's maybe if you'd asked me 15 years ago how I felt about that, I would have said, well, that person's being selfish, <laughs> but I'm a bit more self-actualized now. And there's a huge difference between selfishness and self-care. Yeah. And it's it's sometimes walking away is the best self-care. Yeah, 100%. And then at the end of the day, if you were being paid for this service, if you were being paid for your presence at this table, you would feel more strongly, this isn't right and I need to not be here. So why yeah. when you're not getting paid... <laughs> Are you going to allow yeah. yourself to get walked all over? Like, if anything, your investment should be less. Limey subs it up perfectly. Life's too short to hate your fun. Oh, 100%. And ain't, ain't, ain't that the truth? <laughs> ain't that the truth? Um, yeah. And that's, and you know, that's like why sometimes for, for uh, our games, or like our public games that we run, sometimes I don't make it. It's because I know I'm not in a mood to be able to have fun for it. Like, a lot of the ones we've had lately, I haven't been there. That's because I'm in school and I have a, a lot of other, you know, and I have a full time job and I've got a lot of a lot of well, other responsibilities and stuff, too. I want to go. Aren't you also what? like a 40 minute drive from Unplugged? It's like 30 to 35, but still like round trip. That makes it like an hour. And but the point is, I have a lot of stuff going on. And I know if I make the time to go, like I'll enjoy myself there. But I'll also be thinking about all the other stuff that I'm not doing and that I need to get done and it'll distract me. Yep. So fortunately, in the next couple of months, that's going to resolve itself a little bit. So, yeah, 100%. And that's, yeah, it's always important to defend your fun. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's you're a player and another player at the table is causing problems. If that's you're a player and the GM is causing problems, even worse. Mm-hmm. There's there's just so much like defend your fun. Because your fun is worth defending. Yeah. That's what you're here for. 
I'm not sitting at home on the couch. I'm sitting at home writing papers and essays and reading chapters in textbooks is what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> Brave says, I had a friend asked me to join a game because it was a really fucked up game. Lots of abuse and gaslighting. And they didn't know how to word what was wrong with the game to the others involved, even though the vibes were off for everyone. That is, a, that's a horrible story. The first time I read that, I was like, wait, Brave, you were running this game and this person wanted in? Like, why were you doing these terrible things? And then I realized Brave saying the friend wanted them to join their game. Mm-hmm. So that Brave could express to everyone at the table, okay, so here's why this is a problem. Yeah. Which it's like it's like you're bringing in an out like an outside consultant to analyze your business <laughs> and tell you what's wrong with it because everybody else is just in too deep. They've got too much institutional knowledge. That they can- I've hired a group counselor to come and talk to us about this game. <laughs> I bet somewhere, somewhere, somebody in a with a, a very like niche, niche mental health degree of some some sort could probably make not a decent living, but a nice side hustle being sort of a group therapist to troubled tabletop role playing game groups. Yeah, I could see that being quite nice. Actually, I would pay decent money for that. Yeah, yeah, it would be really great. Um auditor is a rare is a rare ttrpg role role. i actually i think that's going to be one of the new classes in sixth edition (laughs) look look for your look for your uh new player's handbook later this year with the auditor class in it (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just someone who goes village to village and does actuarial work for Uh Well, you know, given how close this village is to Dragon Mountain, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have to change the actuarial tables for for this surrounding area. So your insurance rates are going to go up because I believe you have a much higher risk of death by dragon than somebody on the other side of the valley. Honestly. Oh, my that's gosh. the kind of thing I would put in the game, probably. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, all right. We don't we don't have any questions in chat, but I do have another one I can throw in from past uh, help my game is on fire. How long How long do we want to run for? I know it took us a little bit of extra time to get in here. We're at about 55 minutes, I think, of actual content. I think we started at around 15 after. Okay. So you want to do you want to do one mo unless somebody adds something in chat? Uh, let's do let's let's do yours. And if somebody pops up with one while you're talking, then we can do that one, too. Cool. So the one that I'm going to throw out, uh, you will likely recall. Was a GM approached us and said, Hey, I wrote this really advanced, really beautiful campaign. I was very excited to run for my party. Early in the campaign, they encountered a pirate ship that was docked. They immediately either killed or made flee all of the pirates. And my party now has a ship that they do not leave and refuse to stop using to do everything that they are doing. I all of my campaign is written to be on land. I do not have an oceanic campaign written. How do I stop them from doing this terrible thing to me? Yeah, there's, you know, there, I, I remember this. I had forgotten about it until you started talking about it. But um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, there's, there's a couple of different answers to this. Like the first is, um, you know, the jerk store called they're running out of you. You have something happen and the ship sinks or something like that, right? Um, I, I understand where this person is coming from because again, like the me of like 10 years ago, 
would have probably had a different answer to this. But with all the um, experiences we've had running running tables and stuff going off the rails and like public games and stuff like that, I have a much more laissez-faire attitude to the way I've written something. You know, um, I've talked about, I've put it in these terms before, right? Like, I don't, all right, so like Star Wars, right? Like, I like um, New Hope, Empire, Jedi. They're, they're fantastic. I also like the prequels. Don't like the prequels as much because I think Lucas really rushed himself trying to write them, right? Um, and then he, he, you know, people weren't happy with the prequels. Obviously, now they're like 25 years old, so people have a better appreciation for them. But I remember at the time, people were like, well, this is terrible. This is just terrible. And um, George Lucas was like irritated about that. I think he gave some interviews where he talked about how he was a little frustrated with it. And the thing, like, the thing that George Lucas at the time didn't realize is like, it wasn't his anymore. Like once he put star Wars out into the world, um, it was, it belonged to other people. Like he's still the creative force behind it and it wouldn't be there if it weren't for him, but he doesn't get to be the end all be all of like, this is what star Wars means. Yeah. Yeah. Limey, Limey's right. Uh, my, I want my star Wars takes to go viral. Uh, <laughs> But, but, um, like he doesn't get to be the arbiter of what is good Star Wars and what's not good Star Wars. I hated the, the sequel movies. Um, but I realized that they weren't made for me. They were made to get a new generation into Star Wars. Right. So where I'm going with this is like, you write your adventure, you're really excited about it. You're really happy with it. And, uh, you put it out into the world with your players and they interact with it in a way that appeals to them rather than the way you have designed for them to interact with it. Um, you got to roll with that um, because it's collaborative storytelling. You can't it, like, if you want them to do exactly what you want them to do, then you should have written a book or you should adapt that into a book. You have to be willing to roll with it. If your players are excited about getting on a pirate ship, roll with them being on a pirate ship. There are ways to adapt your campaign. I also, I don't buy the answer that like, well, everything I've written is just on land. Like, no, like Wind Waker is a game. You can do everything you could do on land. You can find a way to do it on the water. <laughs> like there are islands, right? Yeah. Um, so y you have to meet, like, again, it goes back to you have to meet people where they are. And if that's what they want to do and you want to force them to do something else, like, hey, that's your prerogative, but they're going to be unhappy. If people are having, if everybody at your table is having fun, that's a, that's a gift, that's a gift and you need to lean into that gift and yeah, it may cause you some problems, but even if you don't get to run that adventure as you wrote it, it still exists. You can still take it and use it wherever. Maybe eventually they get tired of the pirate ship and then you've already got chapter two, right? Yeah. Just tell them like, Hey guys, if this is really what you want to do, that's cool. This isn't what I wrote, but I'll tell you if we can maybe not play for a couple weeks and you give me a chance to sort of draft some stuff out, I can really lean into this and make you guys happy. Yeah. Yeah. Limey also points out, if you don't want your players to be a pirate crew, don't ride a pirate ship into the adventure or have it be scuttled <laughs> in port as a timer for an environmental issue or on a combat encounter. And I think, I think, yeah, you can't predict everything that players are going to do, right? You can't say, oh, if you didn't want them to get on a pirate ship, don't put them on a, don't make a pirate ship available. People will, life finds a way in these situations. You can't yeah. guess what people are going to do. And I like, I think if you had a really good story reason 
for scuttling it, I think then that's fine too. But if you're just doing it because you're like, well, this isn't what I wrote. I don't think that's a good enough answer. Um, but obviously too, because there are multiple sides to all these discussions. It also depends on the, the skill level of the GM, like how quickly they can roll and adapt and everything like that. Like there's, there's a universe where you can say, Hey guys, I know you're really excited about this pirate ship thing, but you know, like this is my first campaign and uh, I, you know, I'm just not really comfortable winging it so much right now. Like, I promise you we can do something with a pirate ship. If you want, we can keep the pirate ship and we can have it moored here and somebody can keep it for you and we can come back to it. But I really just need to sort of get my legs on this a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, so you can either talk to them about the concern or you can roll with it. The middle ground, what this person, this, the answer that this person was looking for was the middle ground of how do I punish them for not doing what I wanted them to do <laughs> without conversation? Uh, I, I recall my answer at the time, my off the cuff answer, almost as a meme, was the pirate is a mimic that the pirate, the pirate ship is a mimic that the pirates had an agreement with. <laughs> uh huh. But. <laughs> The uh, the slightly more mature answer that I will offer is, uh, yeah, if your party's excited about something, you don't have to build interest in that thing. They're already excited about it. Use that to your advantage. If you really don't know how to run an adventure that involves the crew sailing around and having Sinbad-esque, specifically the, uh, the pirate and not the comedian, uh, Sinbad-esque adventures on the open sea, then what you have to do is either work with the party to figure out how this works for them or set it up so that they can have the asset of the pirate ship without being stuck on the pirate ship the whole time. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. you could do a narrative, okay, um, I'm not, I'm not going to take this from you guys, so here's what we're going to do. You spend the next three months sailing from port to port, figuring out how to become merchants. And in that mm -hmm. process, you start bringing crew on and you start, you know, kind of testing them and making sure that they're going to be loyal sorts. And, you know, based on some roles, you determine how loyal that crew really is. And then they turn the ship over to their the party's first mate and he runs the mm -hmm. ship. Well, they are they're in port doing adventure stuff. And then anytime they need a ship, they can reach out to him and he'll bring the yeah. ship around to wherever they are so that they can climb aboard and go to their next thing. Because most most of like the parties I've experienced, once they get a ship, the reason they don't want to let it go is because they're like, now we don't have to pay for cross ocean transit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, also remember, if the ship's an asset, then they can claim depreciation on it. So they'll actually be getting money back on their taxes. Finally, um, Brandon is fleshing out the auditor class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this actually might not be a stupid idea. If somebody wants to pick up that football and run with it, I would be perfectly happy. Oh my God. Um, and Limey raises another point. Like, plus, is a bandit raid on a tavern really that narratively different from a boarding action from a low-level crew? It's not. He's right. And... I think that cuts a little bit to the core of maybe what this GM's problem could have been. Uh, and I admit that this is all speculation because we never asked this question, but I think they're probably overthinking it. Yeah, Because probably. 
because maybe when they say, oh, like everything I wrote was land based, maybe that was a way of saying something like, I don't know how ship combat rules work or whatever. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, make something up, figure it out. Well, it just do something that works and is fulfilling. That's all you need. Also, you don't have to be the sole source of truth for all of these things. You have people at your table who are clearly very enthusiastic about this idea. They're going to help you figure it out in a way that makes yeah. sense and is fun for everybody. Yeah. Which I also want to. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, which brings me around to Lost Limey's first con or first comment on this, which was, quote, small towns are now islands. Oceans are now battlefields. Welcome to Dungeons and Dragons and Master and Commander. <laughs> it's featuring Kevin Costner. It's Dungeon, <laughs> it's dungeon World. Uh, and I want to I call attention to something uh, Astropathic said earlier, because it really sort of cuts to the core of how I treat this panel whenever we do it. It's D&D is a communication-based game. Please communicate with each other. That's... That's the beginning, middle, and end of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, looks like we got something else from Brave, and let's call this the last one uh, for, for the evening. Uh, good if, with that. if you would, Josh. Brave says, so recent game, my players were settling in at the inn and went to the nearby bathhouse to clean up after a day of travel. They decide to troll me by refusing to move off the bathhouse as a scene, prodding me into a 35-minute conversation with a random 85-year-old carpet merchant. I just let them waste time and have fun because, admittedly, it was pretty funny. But if I had something planned, what are some organic ways to move them off this? Two answers for this. First, don't. <laughs> like, they'll eventually... like It's like a, a crying child. Like, eventually they'll tire themselves out and they'll move on, right? Uh, but for a real answer, it's like there's there's a lot of opportunities here. I think anytime you're in you're in a bathhouse or near a water wheel or uh, like a water powered like lumber mill or something, there can always be plumbing or flow problems or something like that that can get people out of there. Um, like all of a sudden, the uh, the pipes in the bathhouse start clogging up or something like that, or there's a sewage backup or something, and everybody has to get out of there. Uh, and like the town's health and safety or something comes over and they have to shut it down. That happened to me when I was working at a video store about 20 some years ago. Um, the sewage pipe backed up in the storage room in the back and the police ended up. And our district manager refused to close the store. So the police were sent to force us to close the store. Oh my God. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it was pretty awful. So, you know, you could do something like that. Like there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. You just sort of have to think like, you have to step out of this thinking about it as a story and thinking about all the elements of the story as they exist. Like the 85 year old carpet merchant. All right. He's an 85 year old person, probably tired, probably hungry, probably can't stand and talk for hours and hours and hours. Right. A bathhouse has to get water somewhere. Water has to go somewhere you know, something can happen there that can cause problems. Maybe somebody comes in, try, may, maybe somebody comes in to rob the bathhouse. Maybe it's a bathhouse where that the police are, are, uh, have a, uh, like an undercover operation going on because they suspect more than just bathing is going on at the bathhouse and you, your players get caught in a raid and <laughs> then they have to escape or they get, they get busted as Johns or something like that. <laughs> I, 
Uh, my number one piece of advice for these situations is bring the action to your party. Um, mm -hmm. The bad guy doesn't stop maneuvering just because your party's hanging out at a bathhouse. Um, yeah. I am reminded of an episode of Outlaw Star where you think they're going to do a classic bathhouse episode. And instead, the bathhouse is owned and operated by space pirates who happen to know who the entire party is and waits until they get them separated for like changing outfits to spring their attack on them. Uh huh. That's good. That's was, really good. It was pretty incredible. And mm -hmm. it's it's one of those situations where you have to make the decision. Are you ready to move on? And that's why you're looking to end the scene and your party isn't ready to move on. Or is your party trolling you? And yeah. that's why they're still stuck here. And if they're just yeah, trolling there are many you, the easiest way to disengage is to be like, all right. So you spend the next, uh, let's say you roll a D6, three hours talking to this old, old man about his carpet business. Um, mm -hmm. And he is a fast friend. And then you go to bed and they're like, well, we didn't we didn't say that we were. And you're like, yeah, I know. I know you didn't. But I'm that's where I'm at. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like to keep things diegetic to the story <laughs> if I can, um, you know. I'm I'm actually writing down bathhouse prostitution sting um, <laughs> just because I think that could that could be an interesting plot element. Could be entertaining to play through. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, um, says, I, I'll take the hot stone ambush. <laughs> Astropathic says smellamentals, <laughs> which I like a lot. Uh. Um What else? No, I think I, I think, think we're done. I think that's a good resolution to that question. I, I at the end of the day, either bring the action to them or do essentially a fade to black to get them mm -hmm. there. Like it's not it's not always going to be a situation where you're like, OK, I'm going to play this out to its full conclusion. Sometimes you're going to have to look at your table and be like, all right, I understand that this is a hilarious goof that all of you are pulling on me, but I have actual content to get to. And I'm starting yeah. to get really tired of being an 85 year old carpet merchant. Yeah. Well, that's like Alex. Every time we try to get her to talk to herself, like have an NPC conversation with herself for several people. She's just like, absolutely. I'm not engaging with you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> which, and that's a fair answer. Which is both a fair answer and its own degree of hilarious. So, yeah. Yeah. It works out really well. Yeah. So uh, let's do the housekeeping and wrap it up. Um, uh, as I'm sure you all know now, um, word of mouth, not only the best Ludicrous album, but the best way to uh, get more people uh, to listen to and watch the podcast. So be sure to say it with me now. Telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins of Growlers podcast. Um, join the Discord, bit.ly slash goblin discord. Um, join our monthly newsletter if you haven't already. Uh, I enjoy putting that together, and it's sort of a nice, relaxing low lift for me since we only do it monthly. Um, you all probably already listen to Quid Pro Roll, the people who are, are in the chat, but for anybody who doesn't, Quid Pro Roll is a great narrative podcast that we do. Uh, it's our sister podcast. And I play an over-the-hill pro wrestler in it. And Josh is uh, an edgelord thief who he probably came up with when he was 13. 
I did, in fact, well spotted. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, you haven't mentioned our lovely newsletter that comes out once a month. That I literally I, just mentioned that. <laughs> you did? How did I miss the uh, newsletter? Yes. I was trying to you like blacked out. <laughs> I was trying to read chat and listen to everything you were spotlighting at the same time. And I must have had a point mm -hmm. where I was just chat. Yeah. Was just reading chat. Anyway, anyway, the newsletter. Um and link, uh link to <laughs> and like everybody's slash. jumping in Goblins like he did. He did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Um, thank you, everybody. Thank you for backing me up. Um, <laughs> if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching this on VOD, you're probably watching it on the YouTube channel. So why don't you hit that subscription button on there? That would be fantastic. And Scott says he's cutting this part out. You don't you dare. Um, uh, and we'll be back uh, two weeks from when this episode releases, not two weeks from today when we're actually recording it uh, with. I think we've determined what we're going to talk about. I just don't have the spreadsheet in front of me, so I can't tell you. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Brandon and I not clicking on other things right now to make sure the stream continues to work. This yeah, this is held together by spit bill wired <laughs> prayers. So I'm just leaving it where it is right now. Uh, don't yeah, Scott says don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Hit that notification bell. <laughs> um oh, we didn't open this with what's up, guys. <laughs> what's up, guys? It's your boy Brandon. Um Thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in. I, I for one, uh, enjoyed having sort of the live interaction with folks again while we do this. Um, I'm going to speak for Josh and say we probably will consider doing this again. We will. Because uh, this was this was a blast. Um, so thanks, everybody. And we will catch up to you later. Uh, I'm going to stop the stream here in a second. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. I hope everybody has a great night. And if we don't see you at Unplugged, we'll see you somewhere else soon, I'm sure. Dun, dun, dun. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs> Craig is like part of the Make and Ten Action Network. <laughs>you like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you